We're so grateful. Come on, you can do better than that. Give yourselves a hand for making it out this morning. Woo! That's the first time we've had good weather in about nine months, it feels like. And so, I don't know about you, but I got up and was like, ooh, Jesus, can we have church outside? Huh? Come on. You look so nice. Hey, can, I, can we just thank, uh, last week I wasn't here, I was out of town, and Pastor Jonathan brought the word. Can we just thank him? What a great word he brought. Uh, if you're visiting with us today, welcome. You're our special guest. It means the world to us that you would take your Sunday morning and come be with us. And uh, in fact, I'd like you to do me a favor. I want you to look around. I just want you to see um, what this congregation looks like. We're one-third black folk, one-third white folk, one-third Hispanic folk. The Asians are taking over. Come on, Asians. I love you so much. And we are a little slice of heaven. And we say it like this all the time. It's a little offensive to some people, but we, I don't care because I'm the pastor. And that is, if you don't like black folk, don't go to heaven. If you don't like white folk, don't go to heaven. If you don't like Hispanic folk, don't go to heaven or Asian folks because we're going to spend eternity together. So we better figure it out here and now, right? And so, and I love that we are a multi-generational church. I was laughing the other day. One of the, one of the leaders was telling me, yeah, a young guy was like, you know, I've been coming to church here a little bit, but the church I came from, the whole worship team was much younger than Hill City's worship team, so I'm just not comfortable. And I was like, where did you, did you, where did you go to church? And, uh, and I am grateful that we don't have a bunch of little, just little young folks up on the stage, and we don't have a bunch of just old folks on the stage, that we are a blend of multi-generations. Come on, give yourselves a hand for being a part of a church like that and because of that we've got a whole different set of problems than everybody else's church because we got to learn how to love each other in real time and, uh, and, and, and we do life together, and we do relational life together and small group life. So welcome if you're a first-time visitor. And by the way, if it's your first time, as you go to exit today, you'll see what we call our guest service stations. And out there in our guest service areas, um, you'll find these little tables with these iPads on them. And our guest service team is there. They have a little gift for you. Go by, pick it up. You say, you know, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever come back. That's okay. We just wanted to be sure that you got the million dollars that we've been saving for you. And uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but we have a little gift. Just so that you can know that somebody loves you and that someone's praying for you. Are you ready to get into the Word today? Say yes. All right, so let me just catch you back up. We're in a series called What is Love? And the whole premise of our series has been, do we really understand it? And how much has our culture redefined what true love is? How much has that happened to us? How confused are we truly in reference to what is a biblical love? And so we've been diving back into the Word of God to find out what is God called love. We started with 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul lays out for us the ingredients of love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. We looked at Dr. Parrott's teachings on, on love, what Je how Jesus loved, the, the love that was so distinctive to his character, his nature. And then we started, my wife and I gave you some just some practical love tips in marriage, and then Pastor Jonathan in loving and communication and today uh, you're not gonna like this but you're here and you can't get out because we locked the doors I'm just kidding um, but today I'm gonna teach you teach uh, from this place that I've been so um, overtaken uh, with frustration uh, at the devil's power uh, but I've titled it today our subtitle and what is love is protecting your family from the American idols that's what I've subtitled this, so hold on, strap your seatbelts in. We're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn your Bibles on, let's go there. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. This is kind of our key verse for today's teaching. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. I believe that we're in the last days, or as Jesus said, we would have these birth pains, the beginning of the end. I believe that that's where we're at. Verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul is literally prophesying what the last days will be like. He says, there will be terrible times in the last days. And then he lays out for us what he sees. And he literally, in my opinion, lays out four idols that the last days people will worship. He starts with, number one, people will be lovers of themselves. See, an idol is anything you love more than you love Jesus. That's what an idol is. Lovers of themselves. And then he starts, and he says, and the next one is lovers of money. Does this not sound like the culture in which we live? And the time frame in which we live. 
And then he goes on to break some of that down and just kind of giving credence to those pieces with boastful pride. But then he jumps down in verse 3 and he says, not lovers of good. So if you're not a lover of good, then you're a lover of evil. And so he lays out for us these lovers or these idols that we'll have in our lives in the last days. And then, and then he goes on to say, um, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So I see this as him literally prophesying about what the end time idols will look like. The last day idols. Lovers of ourself. Lovers of money. Lovers of evil. And lovers of pleasure. And if that doesn't describe the era and the time frame in which we live in the culture of these United States, I don't know what else does. And he's literally warning us. He says, don't have anything to do with that. Don't have even a, a, a lick to do with this. In my studies, I came across a, a, um, a therapist, a Christian therapist, who says it like this, Dr. Abercrombie of the BC Institute. He said, the worship of self is primary and has fragmented the biblical home into pockets of individual gratification, personal goal rights, entitlements. Biblical order is often abandoned because God's structure interrupts one's selfish ambition, calling instead for the glory and the magnification of God above all else. What he's saying is this. He's saying because the idols, even in Christian homes, the idol of self, the idol of pleasure, the idol of loving these things more than you love God. He says those things are interrupted in a Christian home because we are called to love God and only so these things war against each other. And this is why we have such conflict in our Christian homes. This is why we have lost the family unit. I was dumbfounded over the last three or four years to watch what were major justice movements have in their mission statements that one of their goals is to destroy the nuclear family. Blew my mind. Like, I understand your fight for justice, but why does that incorporate you wanting to destroy the nuclear family? And they use that term. It's a new term that has popped up over the last few years. And it's simply calling what God ordained as family, now giving a term to it in a modern way of calling it nuclear. Because if I call that nuclear, then I can say, but there's a modern family that looks like this. So the nuclear family, in that, in that we have a husband and a wife and their children... But now there's a modern family that has a husband and a husband, or a mom and a mom, or three moms, or four, all these different displays. And the goal is to destroy the nuclear family by way of bringing forth the modern family. These are all the results of the idols that we worship. The idols of pleasure, the idols of selfishness, the idols of money. Because at the end of the day, you and I, as believers are called to love of the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Loving not our lives even unto the death. And I can prove to you statistically how much our idols have caused us to bow. Statistically, let me give you a couple statistics. Static statistics, thank you very much. Starting with sexuality. The average age now, right here, right now, for a child to see porn is nine years old. Average age. That means children as young as 4 and 5 and 6. And late as late as 11, 12, 13. But the average is 9. And they're seeing the most vile acts of sexuality known to man. Because there's no filter on the things that they can get to. We've given our children over to this. 16% of those 18 to 23 identify as LGBTQ. Which, as a man my age, who's grown up this, at, at, here in the United States, I've watched the swing from we're going to call ourselves homosexual to we're going to call ourselves LGBTQ, XRYZ. And the reason that is is because we want to take the real part of this whole thing, the sexuality. We don't want you to understand that really that's what we're about. We want to somehow build that as something nicer and cleaner. So you've got to change the title in it. My opinion, I'm a pastor, praise the Lord. Gallup poll, <clears throat> for the last so many years, uh, Gallup has done a poll since 1996 asking Americans, polling Americans every year since 1996, do you approve of gay marriages? Do you think that's accurate? Do you think that's okay? In 1996, 27% of Americans approved to it, approved of gay marriages, which therefore shows you that 73% said, no, that's not, that's not right. That's not right. Something about that's not right. 
Here we are in 2022, just last year, and that has flip-flopped to where 71% says, absolutely, that's fine, no big deal. Look at the shift. How have we swung so far, if you will? Pay attention to some of these stats, too. Those in America who claim or identify as a Christian, starting with the silent generation, and those are the guys that are 80 and older, 66% of the silent generation called themselves believers, baby boomers, 35%, Gen X, greatest generation in the world, uh, 17%, watch it, you see it cutting in half in 80, 90 years, cutting in half, to millennials, now only 4% of millennials claim to be Christian, and now they estimate that Gen Z is just, uh, is going to be as low as 1%, which what does that mean for alphas, the little ones coming up? We have sold our children to the gods of this world, that's what we've done. Recently, and I don't, I'm not at home when Dr. Phil comes on. I, I don't watch Dr. Phil. But recently I came by way of research. Um, Dr. Phil, uh, I think it was like the last week or so of January, he did an episode on his show um, that he basically titled or subtitled uh, Kids Addicted to Digital. And, uh, and I got a hold to this show and I watched it. It's, you know, his normal hour show. I think it is 45 minutes, whatever it is. And he was interviewing these families um, and the tragedies that they've gone through because their kids are basically addicted to social media, gaming, whatever it may be. And the first person that he interviewed was a woman named Brittany. Now, Brittany has a 17-year-old who now, or 17, 18-year-old, who now lives under a bridge in a tent with a bunch of homeless people because Brittany became so addicted to social media and she would have these friend groups they would you know uh, typical if, if you play these things out they'll have these online friend groups that then turn on them and then she would just start another group in fact Brittany was so addicted to social media that her mom trying to help her good good uh, Christian family tried to take her phone away from her and so what she did was run away and go live up under a bridge we see this all over Austin Portland, all these young people that have means, can get jobs, they're not struggling with mental issues per se, uh, like most of our homeless population is, they are, or don't have the means, or poor, or poverty, whatever, these people actually can work jobs, they actually can hold jobs, they can actually do for themselves, and as a result, we see this large group of young people living on the streets of Portland, San Francisco, we're finding Austin, it's kind of like the last three or four years became this like cool thing to do, and the, many places that they have free Wi-Fi in the city. And this particular young lady that, that, was, um, that, that Dr. Phil was meeting with her mom about, she got so upset that her mom tried to take her phone away from her just to try to help her break from this thing that she ran away and she's living in a tent and she can't get her back. And this girl posts 800 times a day. 800 times a day. He then interviewed a, a, a sweet lady which broke my heart. Her name was Tammy. And Ta Tammy had an 11-year-old who committed suicide. She let her have a phone when she turned 9 or 10, I believe it was. She got her own social media account, and she began to live in the social digital world, looking for people to approve of her, trying to make friends in this. And she began to get bullied, and then she would start new friend groups, till ultimately this little girl went and killed herself as an 11-year-old because of what she was experiencing online. 11-year-old. This girl should be playing with baby dolls and our trucks, whatever she wants to play with, don't matter to me, but she should be playing, having fun, enjoying her life. And here she is, so stressed out that she's not, every like is, she's not getting the likes on every one of her posts. And then he interviewed a third guy by the name of Mark. And Mark told his story, man, probably in his 40s, told his story about his 16-year-old son who'd been a very star athlete at his high school until he had an, an tra uh, a tragic injury that basically kept him from being able to play sports. And he began to get addicted to playing video games. And they were, again, a good moral family. I don't know if they were believers, but they didn't want the real violent video games in their homes. So they forbade having the violent video games in their homes. They had other young children. And his son, all he did was sneak out, buy, purchase these video games, unbeknownst to them until the dad found out. And he's like, look, I'm taking this away from you. And Mark tells the story that uh, the next day, the young man came in and said, mom and dad, I have a surprise for you. Close your eyes. I want to give you, I want to give you a surprise. So they close their eyes thinking, wow, this thing's really working. And which the young man then shot his mama and then put the gun up to his dad's face and shot him. The dad kind of came to in the middle of it 
um, and the son was trying to put the gun in his hand to get to make it be a staged uh, murder suicide um, to so his dad would go to jail um, and not you know and, and he'd be free to do whatever he wants and the young man obviously they went uh, it, you know he got prosecuted he ran he ran out of the house in this and 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 so Dr. Phil's telling all these stories, interviewing all these people, and, and literally in the middle of it, he brings out one of the great, uh, one of the top psychologists in the country, uh, Dr. Cardassa, I think is how you say his name, anyway, and he is an expert in reference to the digital addiction, and I just wanted to take, you know, 190 seconds and just let you see his comments to Dr. Phil about a generation that's now addicted to online gaming and online social media because I just want to wake you up to the idols of our age. Go ahead and play that for them. I want to add something to this conversation that has really done a tremendous amount of research and can give some real insight. Joining us virtually is Dr. Nicholas Carderas, who is widely considered the country's foremost digital addiction expert. He's not only clinically worked with over a thousand young people dealing with screen addictions, but he also wrote the seminal book on the clinical, neurological, and sociological aspects of technology addiction. Uh, doctor, it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, good to talk to you again, Dr. Phil. Thank you for having uh, me. You've been listening to what we're talking about here, and you've, you've heard that Brittany's daughter has actually decided she's better off living in a squalid tent just so she can stay on that screen. Explain, if you will, how a, a child can become this addicted to a telephone and all of the feedback, likes, et cetera, et cetera, that affects their brain. Our kids are under attack by predatory big tech, gaming, social media platforms that do neurophysiologically change our brains in ways that exactly mirror substance addiction. And there's been really robust research that shows this similar effect. So not only does it spike dopamine in a way that that stimulant substances do, and then we chase that high over and over again, but it actually changes the prefrontal cortex, which is the decision-making part of our brains, to, uh, it shrinks it in a way that it compromises our decision-making. So this is classic addiction 101. I mean, if somebody's living in the tent in the pursuit of their addiction, I don't care if it's a substance, or if it's a behavior, or if it's a digital platform, addiction is typified by this type of behavior where it's destroying your life so he clearly points out his opening statement is how big tech does not care if they destroy your children because of what the idol of love of money they're gonna make money off of it and so so the, the critical piece that I need us to understand is that if we're going to save our families, if we're going to raise godly children, then we have to identify that there are idols in our land that we live in, that we are affected by, that we even have embraced at times in our life so that we can stand against those and follow the Lord our God. We must protect a generation, our children, from this wicked onslaught of destruction. I want you to understand all throughout scripture we find that the, that, the, that the Old Testament followers of God would have these moments where they would follow false gods. They would begin to, literally they would love God, God would save them out of Egypt, he would save them out of these different places, they would say yes God we're going to serve you with all of our hearts, but then what they would do is where they, where they lived, they would be surrounded by other groups of people, other nations if you will, and so that they would not have them fight against them, they would make pacts, they would make, you know, they, they would come into agreements to, to have each other's back, and then to do that, the way they did that was embrace each other's culture, and all throughout the scriptures of the Old Testament, the God, they would then get themselves into idol worship. That's why in the Ten Commandments, one of the great Ten Commandments, you will have no other gods before you. Why would he need to put that in the Ten Commandments if we weren't so prone to chasing other lovers? We're prone to it. And you need to understand that. We need to understand that as the body of Christ. In fact, look what Psalms 106 verse 35 says. It says, but they mingled with the nations and learned their practices. Talking about the Israelites, the followers of God. And served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. 
and shed innocent blood. The blood of their sons and their daughters whom they sacrifice to the idols of Cana. Really, if you, as you go through scripture, you'll find multiple places where the prophets are prophesying to Israel. Stop sacrificing your children to the idols of Molech. To the idols of Baal. In fact, Molech was a specific god that they would sacrifice their children to. It was a false god, obviously. It was, um, it was a god that they would worship. It was actually the Ammonites' god. And so as the Israelites got close to the Ammonite people and they began to make partnership, their culture began to affect them. They embraced the culture around them. They embraced the culture around them. And they began to live like the Ammonites. And the Ammonites had a god called Molech. It's a giant statue that they would make of Molech all over their country. We begin, the Israelites, excuse me, began to bring that god, that, that idol, into their country. They would build up this great idol. It was typically made out of bronze. It was typically hollow so that they could heat it up. And then they, they would take their children, and it had its head, hands out like this, and they would take their children, and they would put their children on this god, heat it up, and literally murder them in front of everyone. And they would play loud music in the moment. It's, it's recorded in history. They would play loud music so you couldn't hear the screams of the children that were being sacrificed to a false god. The god of Molech, the sun god. The God that would give them power over all the other nations. And the children of Israel who have a covenant relationship with the Lord their God. Who's been taught over and over again. Have no other idols. Have no other gods before me. They would, because of culture, they would embrace these idols and sacrifice their children to them. You see it all throughout scripture. Ezekiel would rebuke them. In Leviticus, literally Moses tells them like this. You shall not give any of your offspring to offer them to Moloch. No, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Dr. Abercrombie, again, from the BC Institute, said it like this. When New Testament Christians read of such abominations in Scripture, we, have, we often have difficulty relating and fail to see its application. After all, we no longer witness children placed in the sacrificial fire to honor Molech and Asherah. But as a biblical counselor, I would suggest that idolatry is alive and well, and children are indeed on the altar of countless high places. What idols? The idols of self-love. The idols of pleasure-love. The love of money. The love of evil. And so we will sacrifice our children as a culture, as a nation, to these gods. And friend, I'm telling you more than ever before, the church must rise up. You have to protect your children from the gods of this age. You have to. We can no longer put them in the hands of the wicked gods of this culture. We cannot. You need to do whatever you need to do to save your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, and your nephews. So let me give you a couple thoughts, biblical thoughts, on how we can love the kind of love that saves our families. Can I give that to you for a little bit? Would that be all right? Say yes. Amen. Thank you, three of you. All right. The rest of you, just hold on. Number one, here's what I teach you to do. Choose who you are going to serve. Make a choice. Stop playing with the idols of this world. Make a choice. I love that beautiful passage of Scripture. When Joshua was coming to the end of his life, the children of Israel had come into their promised land. They come into their promised land. God had done a miracle, given them their promised land. They defeated all the wicked people of that, of that area. And they now are set in. They're worshiping God. And uh, now they've come to a, years of, of comfort and ease. And they start, they start bringing in the idols of the other nations around them. And they start worshiping them. And Joshua is closing out his life. So he brings all of Israel together. And this is what he says to him. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day who you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers, the God your forefathers served beyond the river, so when they were in Egypt in all those time frames and they served those false gods, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You choose. You get to choose. That's the beautiful thing that God did with humanity. He gave us the ability to choose. He gave us free will. And he doesn't force you to serve him. He asks you, choose, but make a choice. Have you ever been dating somebody who was flirting with somebody else? Did it not fire you up? Those of you that have been cheated on by a spouse? The anger that rose up inside of you, the unfairness in that? Can you imagine Father God 
who has saved you, who sets you apart, who's delivered you, who calls you his own. Can you imagine? And we're playing with the love of self, the love of pleasure. We're flirting with the love of money, the love of evil. Joshua stands up and says, y'all can do all that all you want, but doggone it, you better choose today who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. People tell me all the time, Pastor, we don't understand. You're like... Most PKs are horrible. <laughs> How come your kids love Jesus so much? Because I'll tell you why. From the time they were born, they heard me say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And I serve the Lord. This is not a game. This is not a profession to me. I would much rather be a wealthy business person. But the Lord had need of me. And so I said, yes. Yes, Lord, my life is not my own. It's not for my own pleasure, Lord, but I live for your pleasure and for who you want me to be. And from the day one, my children came into this earth. I looked them in the eye. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord together. And when they came into ages of accountability, 13, 14 years of age, I looked them in the eye. Now choose you this day who you're going to serve. Because as for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. You need to make a choice. You need to stop living in sin, sir. You need to stop living in sin, ma'am, and then expecting your kids to be good. You need, you need to draw a line. You need to sit your kids down this week. Look him in the eye and say, you know what, daddy hadn't always done it right. Mama hadn't always done it right. But we're drawing a line starting today. So clear. We're serving God. And the beauty of serving God is that when I stumble and when I fall and I sin, I get back up. I repent. And he dusts me off. He embraces me. And we go on with life. But I'm not going to live in sin. I'm not going to live in that space anymore. I am coming out of darkness into his marvelous light. And this is the reason why so many Christian kids or Christian home kids have told me, and I, listen, I'm close to being a semi-expert in youth ministry for all the years that I've done. And I can't tell you how many young people told me, why would I want to serve God when my mom and dad are hypocrites? Draw the line. Make it clear at work, as for me and my house, I'm serving the Lord. We're serving the Lord. Make it clear online, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Make it, friend to all, make it clear to everyone who follows you, all your you need to choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And if it be the Lord, then serve him with all of your heart. Stumble, fall. He didn't ask us to be perfect. He just said, come follow me. Come up out of your wickedness and let me empower you to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. Years ago, years ago, I had this scenario where young people in my youth ministry were, um, they were really, really, they had, they had served the Lord when they were younger and as they were getting a little older in my youth ministry, this particular family, these kids, these teenagers, really went wicked. And I'll never forget, finally one of them came and sat with me. And they told me a story that their good homeschool mom and dad had major problems in their marriage. And they told me this story. Mom was not able to come to church for a few months because of surgeries and some things. Dad had started an adulterous affair with a woman in the area mom didn't know about it and dad would take the kids to church on Sunday mornings drop them off tell them to take notes from the pastor go do his thing come back pick them up back up and have them coach him on what the pastor said so that when he got home to his wife he could say how good church was and these kids were hiding his sin there's no wonder they were struggling so much and the hatred in their heart and the confusion about how can he be God if this is what the man that I who's taught me about Jesus, is now doing and living. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You need, you need to draw the line in the sand, make your decision, and stick with your decision. Isn't that good? Somebody say yes. Here's the second thing I would teach you to do. If you're going to love your families, to save them from this, the wicked idols of this generation, then you need to uncover the wickedness of culture. Let it sink in for a second. You need to uncover the wickedness of culture. From the time my kids were little, I began to say, come here, let me show you. See this? That's wicked. I did that. I didn't let the teachers try to tell them something different. It's my responsibility to say, this is not right. This is not like God. Let me show you why this is, this is not like God. Over the years, you know, my, my kids would come to me, and, and uh, especially when they were little in junior high or, you know, ele even elementary, really. I'll never forget one of them came to me and said, Dad, what, what age are you going to let me date? I said, What? When can I have a boyfriend? A boyfriend? What do, you, what do you mean? You don't have any friends that are boys at school? No, 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 that's not what I mean. I mean a boyfriend. When can I have a boyfriend? This is my 
11-year-old telling me, 10-year-old telling me this. I said, you want a boyfriend? What, 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 you don't, I thought you had friends at school that were boys. I do, but I want a boyfriend. What's, what's a boyfriend? What's the difference? You know, it's, it's a boyfriend. No, I don't know. Explain to me what a boyfriend is. Because you have friends that are boys, so I don't understand the difference. Well, just, do, just, you know, just a boyfriend like all the other kids. Like all the other kids. You want what the idols of this culture is asking for. What do you want? I just want to be, I said, what do you want to be able to do? You want to have a specific boy that you, that you what? That you kiss with? No, no I, don't, I don't know. What do you want? You want to put your tongue down in his throat? Oh, my God. You want him to take his hands and feel all of your private? Oh, my God, never mind. I don't want one. Okay. Why? I want to expose the lie. What are you talking about? What? What in this, what in this old wicked world is so good? Tell me what you want. Explain to, let me tell you what the end thereof is. Let, let me help you understand. The Bible says there's a way that sees, seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. I, want, I expose my children. Let me show you what these rich people are. Let me tell you what they had to sell their soul to Satan to be what they are. Let, let, let me tell you about my, my life and my uncle who was one of the richest men in, 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 our, in our state. And he went to church so he could make business deals with other wealthy people because all good wealthy people go to church at these particular churches on Sundays. Let me explain to you how every one of his kids not only hated him, but they were all drug addicts and they had all the money in the world and they didn't need to do drugs. But let me tell you why. Because there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. I'm not going to sacrifice you on the altar that you've got to get more education than everybody else so that you can get a better job than everybody else, so that you can have a bigger house than everybody else. What, are we, what is the American? What, what are these cultural ide- ideologies? That are, and are they biblical or are they anti-biblical? I begin to expose them to the truth. That's not, that's not true. That's a lie. I don't care if that teacher told you that teacher's wrong. I love them, but they're wrong. That is not the goal of life. That is not the goal of life. Because when it all comes in, everyone's going to die, sweetheart. Look, buddy, look at me in the eye. Everyone's going to die. Then they're going to stand before the Almighty and give an account of their life. So here, right now, as you're in elementary, and you're being a jerk to those kids in kids' ministry, because your daddy's the pastor, that is wicked, and you're not going to do that. Because not only will God discipline you, but daddy will discipline you. I uncovered the lies to them so that they would have the empowerment to make their right decisions as they go forward. Do you understand how much deception is happening? Do you understand who's indoctrinating our children now? When they spend five to eight hours a day on social media, do you think your five-minute conversations on the way to school is indoctrinating them? You throw them in our youth ministry and hope that our youth ministry can fix them on Wednesday nights in an hour and a half? Who's indoctrinating? Where is their belief systems coming from? From the idols of this generation. (laughs) I'm telling you, we better wake up. The statistics already prove it. For 90 years, we've been losing our children and giving them over to the idols of this world. We've handed them into the hands of Molech and Asheroth and Baal. And it's time for the Christian to stand up and say, wait a minute. I can't fix everything in culture. But I will not give my children over to the idols of this age. Or my grandchildren or my nieces and nephews. I'm not. I love broken people. You follow me on social media, you'll never hear me talk horrible about whatever, whoever person is president or governor or whatever. Knowing that many of them are wicked and undone. Why? Because I know that God intervenes in broken people's lives and he changes them and he fixes them. And we all were wicked outside of Jesus Christ. And he came and he saved us and we repented of our sins. So I do what the Bible says and I pray for those in authority over. I teach my children that so that when someone who's in authority, even if they're wicked and evil and not moral, I teach them how to deal with that, how to pray for them, how to submit to them and until they ask them to do something illegal, unscriptural or moral. I teach them how to live the gospel but I have to uncover the wickedness 
of culture so that they don't think it's amazing because they've been deceived. It's good. It's good. You don't really know who you are. You were born this way, but you really were supposed to be this way because you have these thoughts and these feelings. Lie. 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 I uncover it. Let me tell you what that's going to do to this young man. Now, let me tell you, let me show you the end of what's going to happen. If we, if we follow that trail out, I want you to come see. My kids get so ticked off because I send them more TikTok videos of, people's, uh, of people uncovering lies and stuff like that about culture and sin and wickedness. Like, Dad, don't send me another video. I'm like, oh, you better doggone believe I am. Because I'm uncovering these lies so that you can know truth. And then you, as you come into your own, can make your own decisions. But God will not look at me and say, why did you not tell him the truth? Why did you not expose the wickedness? Do you think Israel, when their children are being thrown on the altar of Molech, do you think all of Israel understood what was really happening there? Someone told them that this was going to get God's favor and lied to them. That's the only way they would have thrown their children to death. The only way. It's a lie. Here's the third thing I would teach you to do, and that is tool them to overcome. Give them the slide, please. There you go. Tool them to overcome. This is called discipleship in Scripture. Tool them. Disciple your own children. Give them the tools to overcome. Don't just fuss at them. Don't just, how dare you think that way? Well, they think that way because you've let them have 18 hours on a phone. Except when they're asleep. Unchecked. They think that way because they've been deceived. Because so that you could have peace when you get home from work, you let them play video games all night long. When they're in the headset with some dude from Asia, some kid from Pennsylvania, and they're cussing blank and bang, and they're murdering people on the screen, do you, what, what do you think is happening in that moment to their soul, to their mind, their will, and their emotions? What do you think is transpiring? They're being indoctrinated. They're being, they literally are being made into something that fits culture. And I would say that our culture does not fit Scripture. And so you've got to tool them to overcome. Our kids are not bad. They're not. They're amazing. They're going to change the world. They're going to bring revival to this generation, to this nation. They, listen, listen, and those kids are the strongest will and the hardest ones to deal with. God has set them like that because they won't turn. We had a kid in our church over the years. I'm telling you, I would tell his parents all the time, I want to strangle your child. Everyone in the youth ministry can't stand your child. He is so stinking hard-headed. And then I would look him in the eye, and they would look me in the eye. But he's called to change the world. And when he gets in those positions of authority, no one will be able to bend him. or change. He don't care if people like him or don't like him. God has made him that way. So we just got to keep tooling him and tooling him with the power to overcome and give him the resources. And so how do you do that? Well, first thing you start doing is you start praying with your kids, man. Start praying. Give them the tool. Teach them how to pray. So I don't really know how to pray. That's why I want you in small group life so you can learn from others how to pray. I taught my kids how to pray. I taught them how to pray the Lord's Prayer. I taught them how to pray through problems that they were having in school. I just didn't say, when they come home and say, man, this guy did this, teacher did this, and it ain't fair. Well, look, come on, let's pray. Let's pray. No, this one, you need to go up there and say something. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. We're going to pray. We're going to get the God of heaven and earth working. And then they will come back and say, I had a miracle. I had a miracle. What do you mean you had a miracle? She didn't make me do the assignment. It's a miracle. I told them, taught them the Word of God, taught them how to use the Word of God, how to quote the Word of God. And so that's because you're a pastor. No, that's because I'm a Christian. Yeah. And because I don't want to lose my children to the gods of this age. I'm not going to hand them over. If they go run into the gods of this age, that's their own choosing. But they're not gonna, I'm not handing them over. They'll have a moment where they get to choose those things. I, you know, I, I, I just I think about this all the time and not having the tools to overcome. And, and, and I just think all the time how we not just need to teach them how to read the Bible and pray, but you need to get your kid baptized in the Holy Spirit. Done. Because when God the Father removed his son from the planet, he said, I'm going to send a gift so that you won't be abandoned to fight the cultures and the demons of this world. I'm going to send to you my Holy Spirit, Jesus said. And he'll live and abide in you. The Old Testament Christians didn't have the Holy Spirit living and abiding in them. 
They were trying to follow, follow rules and regulations in their own strength. We have the Spirit of God writing his na- God's nature on our hearts. The Spirit of the living God. He said he will convict you. He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the judgment of come. He'll lead you into all truth. He'll comfort you in times. Of, listen, your kids should not be suffering from mental health. Why? Because if they've got the power of the Holy Spirit at work for them, teach them to pray in the Spirit and settle their little minds. And teach them that, you know, wait a minute. I'm going to bring my mind into submission to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. I, I grieve that a generation of kids are having radical surgeries to change their gender. I grieve. They've been so lied to that they're not beautiful and perfect just the way they are. It makes me angry. Someone would lie to them and empower the delusions of the brokenness of their heart because they've been rejected or because maybe they were a little more effeminate than the other dudes and are more artistic and so that means they have to be gay. Or because that girl is a little bit more of a tomboy that now that means she's a lesbian. I grieve at the lies. Breaks my heart breaks my heart that we bow to the idols of our generation and we've not tooled our children to say no that's not right and they're and they and as christian kids they they have the the love of god in their heart so they don't want to tell their friend that you're delusional i get that i I appreciate that they love them they want to accept them and let them know that they're loved but how do you show love while telling the truth you got to tool them how to do that you got to teach them I did that with my kids. Hey, I love you. This is wrong. So I'm going to spank you for it. So that you understand. We don't believe lies. We don't act out those lies. We submit to the Lord our God. Here's the fourth and last thing I would teach you to do. And that is you need to help them crucify their own sin nature. We all have a sin nature. If you're new to our church, I teach this all the time. I want you to understand this. When you became a Christian, the Spirit of the living God came and lived inside of you. Came and live inside of you. And now for the first time, you're probably truly convicted about stuff. But you also have a sin nature. In other words, the nature, your, your normal nature, your normal way of doing things is more inclined to sinfulness than it is to righteousness. And so we're now on a journey as we grow in God to crucify our sin nature, the Bible says. And be alive until the nature of Christ. His nature totally opposes the nature of this world and all of its wickedness. Jesus loves when others say, no, get even with them. Jesus forgives when others say, no, no, you have a right to hate them. That's his nature. It's totally opposed to our sin nature. And so every day I wake up and have to, throughout the day, crucify my sin nature. Every time I get on I-35, I have to crucify my sin nature. Every, every time that I'm in a meeting with someone who is ignorant, that's how we used to say it, ignorant, and I just want to rise up and just smack them across the table like, how stupid can you be? Every time I'm on a Zoom call and I'm looking at these people on the screen going, are, are we all that stupid? And I just want to end the call with, do what I'm telling you to do, stop being stupid, God bless you. But that's my sin nature. Okay? <clears throat> Just like you, I love to sit in front of the TV. I was telling somebody early, you know, mom, when she was a single mom, that era of my, my early development, just for a few years in there, the TV raised me for those couple years. Latchkey kid, come home. Mom had to be at work, come home. And I would watch TV. And to this day, I can watch TV eight hours straight without moving. Have to go to the bathroom, won't even move. And then scared that I'm missing something on another channel. If there's a commercial, and that's all, the, all, my, all my kids are like, Dad, you know you can just go watch whatever you want, when you want, instead of having to watch normal antenna TV. I'm like, yeah, but y'all paying money for that. This junk is free. <laughs> and I grew up in an era where we only had three channels. And the rich kids had them satellites, and they looking at, you know, they looking at European porn, but I had nothing but three channels. And I waited for Scooby-Doo to come on. I waited for it, doggone it. Worked my whole day around Scooby-Doo coming on. Woke up at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning to watch some cartoons. You can go watch them whenever you want on your iPad and your iPhone. I don't. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so anyway. But if you don't teach them how to crucify their flesh, who's going to teach them? You're going to wait till, wait till when? Till they're married? Having their own kids? And you haven't taught them how to crucify 
the thoughts of perversion in their mind. What are they going to do when they marry? Then you're going to be dealing with the, your, your son who's now a grown man cheating on his wife. And you're like, what happened? Well, when you had the moment to teach them and help them overcome their sin nature, show them how to do it. So I taught my kids how to overcome their sin nature. And a lot of that had to do with me disciplining them. You know, I love you. This is wrong. This is sin nature. So dad's going to show you that sin leads to death. So first I'm going to whoop you in a nice, sweet way like the Bible teaches. No, seriously. Like, all you white people trip me out. Black and Hispanic folk understand about whooping them because it's in the Bible. Spare the rod, spoil the child. That's not, that's not, and I love all these alternative places. That's great. I hope it works for you. But at the end of the day, the word tells me that if I discipline them properly, that when they're old, they won't depart. The word God teaches me, if I discipline, I show them the love of God, and I show them the love of the Father, and because the word says, he disciplines those he loves. And so discipline doesn't always mean whooping them. Sometimes taking that phone away is, I mean, lose their mind. But you need to help them crucify their flesh. Don't give in to their flesh. It always trips me out to watch you guys ask a four-year-old, what do you want for lunch? <laughs> Why would you? They don't have the ability to make that decision. Ice queen. Now what do you have to tell them? No, you set yourself and them up for wrongness. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Hey, guess what? You're gonna have you're gonna have some nice green stuff for lunch today. Uh, I don't like. I bet you better smile. I'm gonna help you with your flesh right now. Teach you how to overcome it. You're gonna look at me and say, "Thank you, Dad, for having food on the table." And I'm gonna say, "You're welcome." You gotta teach him now. When when my son was young, he is a great gamer. My son is unbelievable gamer. And so what we learn to do, we, we recognize how addictive the gaming industry is. Because I could literally play games all day long. And so we realized that that would be destructive to him. So what we did was, after school, he could play one hour of gaming for every hour of schoolwork he did. That's what was our, that was our plan. Man, let me tell you something, that boy could do some schoolwork. He could do some schoolwork, and he will kill you in any kind of game that he focused on. But we understood if we just turned him loose to try to make the decision when to stop and to do his schoolwork, he, could, he didn't have it within his own strength to do that. And that a good parent, a loving father and mother, says, let me help you overcome your flesh and your sin nature. So let's review for just a second. Here's the four things I would teach you to do. Number one, you need to make a decision. Are you and your family going to serve the Lord or not? Draw a line in the sand, make it clear, change every bit of thing that doesn't look like that, get it out of the house, say we're going to serve the Lord together. Number two, you need to uncover the wickedness of our culture. They need to know that's wicked, that's not right, uncover it, show it to them, show it to them. Let me tell you, explain to them what homosexuality, what the end of that looks like, what that's really all about. Explain to them what transgenderism is all really about, explain to them. What pornography is really going to do to them. At the, expose it to them. Show them at the end how it's going to destroy them. Help them understand. Uncover the lies that are so permeating our culture. And then you need to tool them to overcome. This is what love looks like. Give them the tools. Give them the tools. Stand with them. Stand beside them. Don't be so hard on them. Don't be so judgmental on them. I can't believe. I would never think like that. Well, I'm great that you don't think like that. But they do. And so we've got to help them. We've got to stand with them. And then help them crucify the sin nature. Would you stand with me all across the room? As you stand, I want to tell you this one last little story for about 90 seconds. You guys know that we have a number of churches that we give oversight to. And one of my pastors, uh, one of our pastors, and I was going to try to show, we made a video with them this week, but we just don't have time to show it. But one of our pastors, uh, the Bryants, they're phenomenal ministers. They're in the Green Bay area. For the last couple of years, they've been, they took over church, and uh, it was literally like church planning. I mean, they had to start over. Uh, Pastor Sarah, she works a full-time job, and they have three daughters. Last year, they started noticing that there were some real difficult things happening with their children. They saw culture really influencing them. And they said to me, we're losing our children. We begin to pray about it. Well, Jared, who's a radical dude, now he's radical. 
he sits his wife down and he says, I feel like the Lord has showed me that because their peer group has become more important to them, because these other things that are happening at school and their jobs, that we need to pull them out of school, get them away from that group. And I just, we need to homeschool. Sarah's like, I can't homeschool him. What are you talking about? And Jared's like, he's a pastor, but he also has a side job to help with the income. He says, he says, I know, but I just feel like I have a word from the Lord. Sarah was looking at him like, have you lost your mind? She actually told him, I'm concerned that that would drive them more away from us and from the Lord if we do that. But Jared said, I feel like I have a word from the Lord. And the way their family works is the way our family works. With Jamie and I, if one of us feel like we really have a word from the Lord, then we take it very serious, even if we think it may be a little radical. <clears throat> and we do our due diligence, but then we go for it. And so he did. He pulled him out of school. And just, just like you would think, these teenage girls, junior high girl, they were not happy at all. At all. He said it took a couple months, and they were just at each other and overcoming this thing. Until the culture that they had been so in love with and so inundated with began to lose its luster. Its addiction, if you will. And he reported to us, and again, I was going to try to, I made a video with them testifying this, but we just don't have time. And they say now, after a year later, they said they had their kids back. They said they love the Lord. They're, they're, they're kids. They're, I mean, they're, you know, teenagers. But he said, he said here's how I know, Pastor, because the other day, a 17-year-old, 18-year-old sat down on the couch and put her arm around me. Kissed me on the cheek and said, Daddy, I love you. He says, she hadn't done that in years. He said, I got my little girl back. Do not sacrifice your children to the idols of this generation. I beg you, I plead with you. I stand with you as your pastor. I challenge you. Serve the Lord as a family. Expose the lies of the idols of this generation. The love of self, the love of pleasure, the love of money. Expose it. It's not, it's an idol. It won't lead to anything but death. Raise up your children, your grandchildren. They have free will, so you can't force things, but, but raise them up to love God. Show them the way. Show them your struggles. Show them your scars. Say, baby, I tried it this way, and let me tell you what it did. It destroyed my first marriage. It destroyed us. Because I just, I wanted to live for myself. I served the idol of self explain to them how good God's been to you and help them because they are living in one of the most deceitful generations in the history of the world when 50% of young people admit 50% admit that they're addicted to digital services addicted so Facebook is teaching your children Instagram TikTok are teaching your children how to think and what their morality should be the games that they're playing are literally laying down their moral foundation for them. And that's why we see the stats proven. Generation after generation who are walking away from Jesus. Generation after generation are becoming more and more wicked. And not even, and the Bible says they'll call good evil in the last days. They'll call good evil and evil good. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to grab the hand of the person next to you. And as a church family, I want you right there with your head bowed and your eye closed to make a declaration in your heart that you will serve the Lord and that you will be a part of helping save a generation of children. Your own, that will help each other as families, will stand beside each other to fight and to tear down the idols of our culture and our own homes. We may not can change the presidency. We may not can change all the school systems that our poor teachers and what they're getting demanded that happens in their schools and what they're suffering through. We may not can change all the policies, but what we can do is protect our children and raise up little warriors who can be light and darkness, who can love a broken generation instead of participating with it. This is what love looks like in a family. This is a radical love. So, Father, today as a church family, we commit to loving our families the way you loved us to discipline, to, to warn them about the idols of this, to expose the lies. Lord God, to help them get unaddicted. Lord God, to all their digital devices. Lord God, to, to, to sit with them at dinner. 
just sit around the table and turn off the phones and just talk and share our stories and share the love of God. Lord God, to raise up our kids, oh God, and not let someone else raise them. Lord, to raise them in the fear and the admonition of you, oh God, and your goodness. God, we ask for your help. Lord, we ask for your help. Lord, we ask for your help. Deliver us from the idols of our generation. And we declare as a church family that we love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength, oh God. And Lord, today in our hearts, we draw a line in the sand and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me, the others can fall after these idols, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, deliver our children from the demonic forces that are pushing agendas on their minds. Deliver them, oh God. Visit them in the night, oh God. Visit our grandbabies in the night, oh God. Speak to them. Sit at the edge of their bed. And talk to them and show them your love, Jesus. Lord, to our nieces and our nephews, oh God, whose their own parents don't even serve you, oh God. And intervene, oh God. Do a work, do a miracle. We pray, oh God, that there would be a transformation. We thank you for the outpourings of, of the different places on college campuses over the last few weeks, oh God. But Lord Jesus, in our home, pour out your spirit. Bring revival in our hearts, oh God. Transform us. Thank you, Lord, that today was a shocking awareness. Wait a minute. This is not like God. This is, this is wicked. They're destroying the moral fibers of everything you're trying to teach your children. So, God, I pray for a radical love, a love that is pure and understanding. I pray you give parents in this house wisdom, wisdom how to love this way. Lord God, how not to provoke their children to wrath but to love their kids, to save them from the wolves of culture that we live in. Would you just let go of that person's hand and keep your head bowed for a moment? With the few minutes I have left, I'd like to give a call to anyone who might be away from God, who might say, Pastor, i got to be honest. If I died today, I wouldn't go to heaven. i just got to be honest. If I died right now, I'm telling you, Pastor, I would not go to heaven. And friend, i got such good news for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's what he says. You don't have to give money to the church to be forgiven. He will accept you as a son or daughter, and you don't have to crawl on your knees, light some candles. You don't have to go in a, uh, a confession booth. You just call to him and confess him with your mouth while believing in your heart he's the Christ. And so I would like to lead you in a prayer of confession, of repentance, of declaring Jesus as your Lord. If you've been away from God or you've never been a Christian, you say, Pastor, I want you to pray with me. I want to make Jesus my Lord and I want to repent of my sins. You're going to be able to do that right in your seat without anybody in your space, just you and God. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you say, Pastor, pray for me, lead me in a prayer of repentance. If that's you, I want you to slip up your hand because I want to pray with you right where you're at. The cameras will not zoom in. I'm not going to pull you up front. Amen. Thank you for your honor. Yep, I'll pray with you. Anybody else, pray with me, Pastor. Lead me in a prayer of repentance. I want to be right with the Lord. All right, God bless you, sir. Yes, ma'am, you too. All right, anybody else? Give you a couple more seconds. Make sure I see your hand. I want to know who I'm praying with. I want to know who's saying yeah to God and no to the old wicked world that we've all lived in and lived by. Amen. Anyone else? Three seconds. Three, two, one. Amen. You can put your hands down. I saw it. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. I don't think the prayer is magical. I think what's supernatural is that you said, yeah, I want God. And I believe right now, right here. His Holy Spirit's going to come into your heart, into your life, like never before as you call upon His name. And He's going to change everything about you starting today. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance. I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside of those who lifted your hands. You ready? Pray it like to say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. And I recognize I've sinned against you. But here and now, I repent of my sins. I turn away from them. I change my mind. Jesus, I give you my life. I declare Jesus is my Lord. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Jesus, fill me now with your Holy Spirit. And I commit to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a few more seconds. Father, I pray right now. Peace into those inner parts of their soul. Because they're forgiven. The elephant's been removed from the room. They, they're not at war with you anymore, Lord. They stopped. They, they got, they, in their heart, they, they surrendered to you. 
And now you're their Lord. And I just thank you for joy. May joy bubble up inside of them now, Lord God. Wait a minute. If it all comes to an end, if China blows us up, I'm going to be immediately ushered into the hands of the living God. And forever and ever and ever, I will live with him in paradise. Jesus, I thank you for that confidence and that joy to come upon them now. And Lord, help them connect with some good Christian friends. We all need somebody watching our back. And Lord, may the word of God come alive to them as they start reading the Bible. And I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we clap for how good God was to us today? Thank you for how you left Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond. And again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't